Great job, really, Barb and Katie. Just really appreciate all the work you put into that. But what a beautiful just day we've shared together already. Thank you for being here. For those of you who are visiting, we're especially glad that you're with us. And uh, it's just wonderful to be able to share uh, Christmas morning together, to share the joy of, of, of Jesus and, uh, and God becoming man, God coming down to us to rescue us. And, uh, you know, I, I came across some interesting Christmas stats recently. And uh, here's one for you. 34% of Americans will purchase a gift for their dog this year. Compared to only 22% who will do so for their cat. What does that say about dogs and cats? I don't know. Okay, cat people are looking at me like, hey, wait a minute. But here's the interesting part. 19% will do so for their in-laws. <laughs> so, uh, you know, again, I don't know what that means either. Um, and here's another, another note, something to note. Half the gifts for dogs will be wrapped. So go figure. Maybe it's just fun to watch them unwrap it. Um, here, here's another one. A recent survey of 2,000 people said that 78% of respondents were likely to buy a loved one a gift that promotes health and wellness. Okay, and that's really strange because the other stat that came clear is this. The number one gift year in, year out is, guess what? Candy. It doesn't work. Like, what does that mean? And of course, Andrew just passed out all those candy canes. So there are some parents going, I love him or I hate him. You got, you got both. You're going to have both coming at you this next week, Andrew. Turn your email. Uh, but, but the question for, for all of us really is, what do you want? You know, we, we have lists that we make. You know, we give people lists of different gifts that, you know, perhaps we'd like to receive. I'm going to date myself right now. But when I was a kid, there was this thing called a catalog that came in the mail. So the kids are like, huh, a catalog? Okay, it was like Amazon, but it was paper form. Think of it that way. But it was Sears or JCPenney or something else. But it was basically Amazon in a big book. And you'd go through and you'd mark, you know, a bunch of stuff that typically you never really got, probably. But that's not the point. It was a fun thing to go through. But the question is, what, what do you want? And I'd like to introduce you to someone this morning whose name is, is Simeon. And uh, he wanted something that was very, very different from the things that you and I typically want. And, uh, and what we'll find uh, that in, in Luke chapter 2, and uh, you'll pay it, find that on, on, on page 45 there, and the Bible's provided on the pew rack in front of you there. But, um, but Luke 2.42, I'm sorry, Luke, Luke 2.22 and following describes Simeon and describes what, what he's after, what he really longs for. And so uh, what our practice here as a church is when we read the Bible together, we stand out of honor uh, to kind of give honor to God's word. So would you please stand together and go ahead and follow along. As I read, Luke chapter 2, beginning verse 22, says this, And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses was completed, they brought him, that is baby Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry him, 
him, carry out for him the custom of the law. Then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are realizing your, you're releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things that were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray. Lord, we we ask that you would work even in your word now to change us, to transform us, to cause us to see you in a deeper way, in a clearer way. We pray, Lord, that uh, even as we celebrate the birth of the Savior, that we would be drawn nearer to you. Um, And we would ask that you would be glorified as we rejoice, even with Simeon, at this gift given in the Christ child. We praise you for this in his mighty name. Amen. You can be seated. So as I mentioned, Simeon was looking for something. He wanted something. And we find that very clearly described in verse 25. Notice what it says there, that he was looking for the consolation of Israel. Now what's that mean? Consolation really is this idea of being comforted. It means that there's something troubling you. There's something that's, that's bringing you to a place of being under duress in some way. You're, you're concerned. You're, you're facing some kind of trial. And so what happens is comfort comes and brings peace to you in the midst of that situation. And so Simeon longed for this comfort for good reason. Think about this. He lived under the oppression of the Roman Empire. Jerusalem had been overrun. They, they, they were now under the rule of Rome. That meant there was a lack of freedom. That meant that there was different ways in which they had to pay taxes. They, they did not have the freedom to live their lives before God uh, in, in, in the way that, that uh, they would desire. Now, Rome was smart. They gave them some freedoms, right? They put a temple there and they could carry out certain things because one of the things that Rome had learned over the time of their rule is that if you give them you know, little cultural tidbits, they'll stay at peace, right? Pax Romana, it was a real thing. Uh, they, they, were, they knew how to do that. But the rulers of that time, there were, you know, there were Caesar and then there were lesser rulers that were equally uh, as cruel and oppressive. Uh, there was Herod the Great who, who made that temple. And then his sons later took over the empire. And, and so Jerusalem was, was really under the control of a tyrannical uh, Gentile government. And, and there was spiritual darkness. God's people had wandered from God. For 400 years, they had not heard from God. No prophets had spoken. It was the 400 years of silence. And then, as Jesus is coming in to be uh, born, as Jesus enters this world, there begins to be prophecy coming again. And Simeon is one of the recipients of that. And what does he learn? Well, he learns one thing. He's not going to die until he actually gets to see this promised one. Huh. Wow. This one they'd been waiting for, the one that Daniel had prophesied centuries before, the Messiah, the king, the one that was going to come to make all the wrongs right. 
the one that was going to come to bring freedom, the one that was going to come to ultimately reconcile God's estranged people back to him. And so as Simeon's waiting and waiting and waiting, by by the account, we're not told his age, but the way the description happens here, it seems like he was waiting an awfully long time. And he longed for comfort, the consolation of Israel, the comfort that comes when God brings himself down to that place of rescuing sinners and bringing them back to him. And so, as he was anticipating and looking for that, this day when Jesus is brought to the temple to be dedicated, as as Mary and Joseph follow the Levitical law, this moment comes when he sees this promised one. What do you want today? What are you looking for? Well, if comfort is one of those things, then you're in the right place. Because we see several things about this comfort offered uh, to, to Simeon and really to everybody here today. And the first thing that we would see is this. This comfort only comes from God. There's nowhere else to find this comfort. Uh, we find this in the passage in several places. You'll notice the consolation of Israel. There's only one. It's not a consolation of Israel. It's the consolation of Israel. You'll also notice when, when Simeon speaks of the Lord, he says, I have seen the Lord's Christ, singular. There's only one. You can't find this comfort a bunch of other places. It only comes from God. And, and, and we find that this prof- promise was made in centuries past in Isaiah chapter 40. What does he say? Comfort. Oh, comfort my people, says your God. And then he begins to describe the suffering servant that would come to rescue He says in chapter 49, Shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break into joyful shouting, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people. Verse, uh, chapter 51. Indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and her wilderness he will make like Eden. So this comfort offered by God in the Messiah cannot be found anywhere else. And yet, you know what? We are experts in our day and age of finding comfort, or trying to at least, almost anywhere else. We will look anywhere else for comfort. Do you ever find yourself doing something going, why on earth am I doing this? It never happens to you, huh? Okay. Yeah. I'm seeing the knowing looks like, yeah, I know. I mean, we do. We'll find ourselves in the middle of something like, what on earth happened? You know what? A lot of times, you're just seeking comfort. I mean, I have recently done some things that are completely inexplicable. I have been watching more and more chick flicks with Janet. (laughs) Pray for me. Okay, pray for me. Guys are like at the door like, dude, surrender your man card, man. That's it. I know. I know. What am I doing? I'm looking for comfort, I guess. I don't know what I... You know, this world is so bad. Oh, what's going to happen next with it? You know, I don't know. Anyway. Um, but we do. We find ourselves doing inexplicable things to us at the time. A lot of times, though, it's more serious than that. You know, you realize every time we're engaging in some kind of a sin, often the reason for that is we are trying to grab some kind of comfort in some way that's apart from God. And, and today, we've got all kinds of ways to do that. 
I mean, all you have to do is turn on your computer and look at your homepage for three seconds, and there's 15 of them available to you right away, probably. Um, now, you can't find it anywhere else. This comfort only comes from God. I also find out something else about this comfort. This comfort meets our deepest need. And, and, and here's where people will disagree. And you might be here going today, well, I don't know if you know what my deepest need is. Actually, I don't know your deepest need, but the Lord does. And the Lord's told us all what that need is. The fact is, all of us need to have our sin problem dealt with. See, the Bible tells us that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own ways. We've all sought life apart from God. We've tried to manufacture our own way of living apart from him. And so often, we kind of just pretend like everything's okay. And we kind of like run through life and we kind of put on the, the face and the costume and we go through all these different roles. But deep down, we understand something. We're broken. We're broken. We, we don't have the answers in ourselves. And we don't have the means to, to pull ourselves up out of the, the mire of our lives on our own. We need to be rescued. And that's what Jesus does. See, he meets our deepest need, even though all of us are sinners, all of us have, have broken God's law. To, to sin essentially is to act or to think or to live or to behave in a way that doesn't honor God. It doesn't, uh, Jesus broke it down this way. We need to love God and love other people. That's it. Uh, and, and, and we find ourselves violating that all the time. And you might think, well, you know, Chris, I'm, yeah, I'm, I might be, you know, kind of a sinner, maybe, but at least I'm not as bad as, you know, them. But the fact is that the Bible would say to us, hey, if you've kept the whole law and yet stumbled in one point, you become guilty of all. And that means all of us, all of us have done that. Uh, Jesus says things like, if you look upon someone to lust after them in your hearts, you've committed adultery in your heart. Um, if, if, if you actually raise your voice against someone and you say to them something along the lines of you empty head or you fool. Jesus says you've committed murder in your heart. And so as much as we'll kind of downplay our sin and say I'm not that bad or I'm kind of okay, the Bible tells us, Jesus says you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's the standard. And none of us meet it. And we've got a problem. But here's the thing. This one who comes, this comfort that's offered in the Christ child, he comes to meet our deepest need. He comes right into the mess. He doesn't just stand aloft and say, you reach up your way up to me. You climb some sort of stairway up. He says, forget the stairway. I'm coming down to you. Sin, we're told in the Bible that sin brings death. We're told in the Bible that death is physical death, certainly, but spiritual death is separation from God. And the thing is, God made you to know him. Not just know about him. The terminology used in the scripture describes an intimate, personal knowledge. Jesus says in John 17, 3, he says this, eternal life is knowing you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And the word for know there really means a personal relationship. It's the way in which uh, we're told that, that 
a husband knows his wife in intimacy. That's the same term being used. So God is calling us to know him personally. That's life. None of us are worthy of it. All of us have gone our own way, but he has provided a way. It's so beautiful how in this section, especially in verses 30 through 32, there's kind of a poetry that comes forward in the the passage. And so we find that that, uh, here in verse 32, the light and the revelation is given and the glory of your people is given there. But notice those two things are parallel and yet there are also opposites given. At the end of verse 32, it says the light's given to who? The Gentiles. Well, wait a minute. Those aren't God's people. Huh, I know, that's the whole point. It's available to everybody. And then the end of the second phrase is the glory to your people Israel. So you have light and glory. Those are parallel. Those are the same idea. Then you have opposites, Gentiles and Israel. And yet all of it together encompasses the intricacy of God's work and salvation. He's brought his light and his glory and his design is to rescue all people. It doesn't matter your, your background. It doesn't matter what part of the world you're from, what your language is, what culture you're from. None of that matters. What, your educational level, your economic level, any of that stuff. None of it matters because Jesus comes to rescue all who will turn to him. And that's why in, in the new heavens and new earth we find every tribe, every tongue, Every nation there worshiping and praising God in the fullness of his kingdom. And so Simeon sees this and what does he do? He just bursts out in praise. He just spontaneously starts singing. And the question for us is this, does it stir us in the same way today? I appreciate what Eric said earlier. You know, we sing these songs and we kind of know the picture and like, oh yeah, that's a manger. That's where babies are put. It's like, whoa. No, it's not. That's shocking. Every part of the Christmas story, it's true. You're right. You're right. Good call. Um, He's a preacher, by the way, and I can tell. He's a preacher. It's great. Love it. Let him preach. Let him preach, man. Um, But all of it is shocking. You know, this this is not something we would invent. God coming down to us. Now, if we invented something, we would make it some sort of a religion that operates on you being a really good person. And then we would have these different standards that you've got to keep. And then we would like work really hard to keep these religious moral standards. And then if we worked really hard and kept these moral standards, then some way we could earn heaven. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Matter of fact, that whole system is the opposite of what the Bible teaches. The Bible says this, none of us has the ability to accomplish that because whatever standard we put up, you know what we do? We break it. Whatever criteria we put before ourselves, we fail. The Bible tells that the heart, our hearts, all of our hearts, is desperately sick. Who can know it? And that, that Hebrew term for desperately sick has the idea of, 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 of milk put out in the hot Palestinian sun. Leave it for a day. Leave it for another day. Okay, leave it for one more day. It's getting bad, right? You've got the flies, the, the, the stench, the smell. That, I'm not exaggerating. That is the Hebrew term describing the heart of all people. We're sinners. 
And yet God doesn't leave us there. He doesn't go, gross. Instead he goes, I love you. So much so, I will come down into that mess. I will give my own life for you. And so Jesus comes and lives the life that we could never live and dies the death that we deserve. That's the gift of Christmas. And that's the comfort that he brings. He brings us a comfort that meets our deepest need. So this comfort, it comes only from God, it meets our deepest need, but it also comes at the greatest cost. God doesn't just sort of take our sin and go, okay, yeah, you know, whoopers, hmm, did a bad job, I'm just going to kind of look that over or kind of sweep it under the rug or not deal with it. No, God doesn't do that because God is, we're told in the scriptures, God is holy. As a matter of fact, the, the Hebrew way of putting that forward is to repeat it three times. And, that, and that's kind of the way to make something emphatic. So God's not just holy. God's not just holy, holy. God's actually holy, holy, holy. That means he's completely other than us. He's separate from us. That means he is without any flaw, any imperfection. And so because of that, he doesn't just take our sin and act like it never happened because, well, that's not truthful. No, he demands perfection. He holds to that standard because of who he is. And so that's why Jesus came to pay the price for our sins. The price needed to be paid. It had to be paid. Because if it didn't, he would violate his justice. He would violate his goodness. He would violate his truthfulness. He has to deal with it. You, you, you may have heard this analogy before, but I think it, it communicates this really well. Um, it's a story, really. Uh, there was a king who, who ruled over his kingdom, and, uh, and there was someone who was breaking into the treasury repeatedly, over and over again. They tried to catch the perpetrator. They couldn't, they couldn't figure out who it was. And so the penalty, the king kept saying, okay, you know, the person who steals, they're going to get, you know, seven lashes and then at the post. And then, and then the robbery happened again. Okay, okay, the person who's caught, they're going to get 10 lashes at the post. And eventually the king raised it to, to 12 lashes at the post. And people are going, no one's ever even received that. I don't think anybody's survived that before. And eventually the, the thief was caught. And as it turns out, it was the king's mom. So now the question is, what's the king going to do? I mean, he could just say, oh, it's my mom, so don't worry about it. But then when the king was going to go, Psh, well, that's not fair. If it was anybody else who was caught, that, that's not just. That's not right. And so the king's faced with a dilemma. At the same time, he knew his mom, and at her age, she'd never survive. She'd never survive that penalty. So the day comes for, for the, the trial and the sentencing, and the king is there, and He's up on the bench, and the sentence is, is read, you know, you're guilty, and, and you will receive the punishment of, of 12 lashes at the post. And so the, his mother's brought to the post, and her hands are, are, are tied to it, and, uh, and, and 
The person responsible for the whipping has the whip, and he's standing there about to, about to start, and the king goes, stop. And the king stands up, he takes his robe off, he takes his crown off, and he walks down to the post, and he puts his arms over his mother's back, and he looks back and he says, commence the whipping. Justice was served, but it was served at great cost. He underwent that pain so that his mom could be saved, rescued. And, and that's what Jesus has done. When, when, when Jesus enters into this dark world, he's not simply coming to enter in, to see what's happening. He, he, he's coming in in order to live that perfect life. But he's also coming to take upon himself that penalty for our sin. The penalty we deserve. We deserve that death. Jesus willingly gave up his life by taking on our death in our place that we would receive eternal life from him. We can see this also uh, shown in, in, in the way things are described about, about Mary. Because you notice this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many and a sword will pierce even your own soul. That, that sword is a fascinating thing. It's actually a broad sword. It was the same kind of sword used in ancient times that the, the barbarians would use. So it was a broad sword and it was meant for heavy damage. That's what it was designed for. And the idea is, Mary, your own heart will be struck by this. And yet it's not purposeless. Know that. When she receives that prophecy from Simeon, she's got to hold on to that. Because yes, you're going to suffer. You're going to be there. You're going to be there the day that the baby you gave birth to dies an unjust death dies for the very people who have placed him there in cruelty you're going to experience that but know this mary it's not for 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 just an empty series of sufferings in and of itself there's a purpose there Because that cost is being put out, paid, in order to redeem God's people. And that redemption is available today. If you're here today and you've never received Christ, this gift is for you. This costly gift is for you. And that brings us to the next thing about this comfort. Because this comfort doesn't only come exclusively from God and meet our deepest need and come at the greatest cost. It also calls for a response. We find in verse 34, notice, he's appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. There's going to be two kinds of responses. One that brings a falling and one that brings a rising. 
he can be received, which will bring about the rising of this person. I think ultimately it's pointing ahead to the resurrection from the dead. Or he can be rejected, in which case you can fall. And that fall is beyond my ability to describe to you today. Because to fall means to be separated from God forever. It means to endure separation from God in hell for eternity if this offer of gracious salvation is refused. So the question is, Will you receive him and rise? Or will you reject him and fall? We've seen that this comfort comes only from God. This comfort meets our deepest need. This comfort comes at the greatest cost. This comfort calls for a response. But one last thing we see is that this comfort brings awe. He already saw Simeon's exclamation of awe, but look at verse 33. It says, And his father and mother were amazed at the things that were being said about him. You think, if they're amazed here, what's already happened? I mean, Mary's been there. An angel appears to her and says, Hey, you're going to have a baby. And she's going, Okay, so I'm a virgin? Yeah, you're going to have a baby. And she says, Okay, be it done to the Lord's bondservant according to your will. Talk about faith. All the things that she would endure, the misperceptions of people in that culture as an unmarried woman who's pregnant. But she's going, Lord, be done to me as according to your will. Then, on top of that, Joseph has received messages from God in dreams. Again, revelation from God directly to Joseph by dream. Okay. Uh, they've, uh, they've had several things happen. They've had um, now this account from these, from these prophets in the temple. And so they're, they're amazed. They're in awe. And the question would be for each of us is, are, are we? I mean, let's just stop for a moment and think. Look at what God's done. Look at what he's brought about to rescue sinners like us. Are we in awe uh, there's, a, there's a beautiful quote from an early church father, Augustine. He lived from 354 to 430 A.D. And, and here's how he put it. He says this. Just think about this for a moment. Man's maker was made man, that he, the ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light Sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. This is what God has accomplished. And when we really see him, we too will be in awe. Are you amazed? 
Let's pray. Father, we would ask that in this time again, you would be at work and that you would open our hearts to see you more clearly. We thank you for the gift of the Christ child, the one prophets of old foretold for centuries, the one who fulfilled with specific detail hundreds and hundreds of prophecies, the one who came and lived life in this dirty, broken world, but he lived it perfectly and then he took upon himself voluntarily out of love for us. He took the death that we deserved on and he rose again. And he gives eternal life to all who will simply receive this gift by faith, by trusting you, by taking you at your word. And so we pray this day, Lord, that you would do mighty things in our hearts in awakening that same awe and in receiving that same comfort We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when you read these accounts in the Gospels, I'm so just taken aback by Mary. Young lady, trusting God, following him. And and, and even this description of of the sword that's going to pierce her own soul but in such a way that the hearts of many will be revealed. That that would include us. We're going to just have a moment now to just consider in song some of the things that Mary went through, especially as she cried out to God for grace and for help.